You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rusk. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rusk Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rusk AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It is wonderful to be back, Owen, for our very first Q&A episode for the year. Mm, this is extra, extra special. We always say special, but this one is extra special. Because <laughs> you say every episode is special, <laughs> Owen. We've got Evan Lucas in the studio. G'day, mate. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Good. Happy New Year to both of you. And I've already said that to you already because we did our special for the for the summer period. But happy, happy New Year again. Welcome back, you, to Thank Kate. you, Evan. Yes. I had a great time. Well-travelled, Kate. <laughs> let's be honest, you didn't miss <laughs> yeah, summer Kate. because summer hasn't existed in Australia. It's just been horrible. So I hope that your cold, wet European holiday was good. Yes, it was very cold. <laughs> there was a lot of rain in London, but I'm, I'm glad to be back. I yeah. think I'm a, a one-month max kind of person. And because your phone broke, I feel like you got like a better chance to switch off. Yes, it definitely was switching off. I didn't look at my investments for a month because I didn't have access to any of my apps. So, you went finance equivalent of off the grid. Yeah, yep. pretty much. Yeah, wow. So, that's a lesson for everyone. Break your iPhone when you're traveling if you want to switch off. <laughs> By dropping it in the toilet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talk about removing your brokerage. Hey, Evan, that was not supposed to be on air. <laughs> Is that really what happened? <laughs> yes, but it's embarrassing. So, I haven't been telling people that. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you very much. I've been this telling people- I'd broke it but anyway um well you did just yes. how you broke it <laughs> thanks seven yeah and we're off to a good start here we go so um kate we're bringing in the big the big guns this year we've got uh, evan here of course but we'll be bringing in other special guests along the, the way to like talk about Drew, financial advisor yeah. maybe a few property experts if we get some property questions coming through just to mix up the q a's a little yeah. bit more and do them more frequently hopefully once a month 
Yeah, and uh, Evan, well, we hope will be. Um, you're 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 a Melbourne native, so mm-hmm. like us, so it makes a lot of sense that we would be collaborating and educating folks together. So yeah, and I'm really looking forward to being part of it this year, and hopefully on beyond, is yes. to actually be involved much more as as I can, and and I love talking to to you guys out there listening because. You know the, the three of us. This is our passion, and we hope that we can bring you along with it. Um, and also, just hope that you're, you know, we can help a little bit of your understanding, and vice versa. Because the best thing about Q and A's is that we also learn from your questions about what's not just affecting you, but your opinions on it. And mm. then, you know, as I've said before, the beauty of something like economics, and that's my background, is that all economics is is a study of all people doing certain things together. Right. So that mm. is that is what this is, and then so we get to understand how you're thinking because if you're thinking like that it's probably that in your family it's similar around your friends it's probably similar so it gives us a really good micro view of of what you're doing out there and how you're doing it so it's a it's why q and a's are beautiful because you get push and pull and and that's why we do them Yep. And if you do have questions after this episode or any episode we do on all of the podcasts, we have a link to a type form in the description of mm-hmm. the podcast where you can just go through uh, ask your question and give us a funny name that we can read out on the show when we answer your question. Yeah, we'd much prefer if you give us a funny name. Make up a name, please, uh, because it also helps us from a compliance perspective because we don't want to know your personal circumstances when you ask a question. So it's really important when we do answer questions today that we remind you that we are answering them in a generalized fashion. Uh, we can't offer personalized financial advice on this podcast. You'd have to see a financial planner for that. So make sure if you do hear any of the information that we deliver today, that you're mindful that it's not specific to you. We know it's in your ear. It's in your headphones. It sounds like it's inside your head. Um, but we are not speaking directly to you because we don't know your personal circumstances. But please send in your questions. We love funny names. We just had a giggle at a couple before. So um, yeah, we've got questions on uh, books. We've got questions on ETFs, a lot of questions on ETFs, money resources for teenagers, some stockbroking stuff, um, compound interest, uh, dividends, heaps of stuff to get through. So um, that's like the kind of the, where we're going today. But we are recording this, what's the date today? The 8th of February. So that's one day after the Reserve Bank of Australia increased interest rates. And Evan also had some, is that not the ninth time? You, yeah, right. Okay. They also had some pretty, I guess, for some people concerning uh, commentary in their update. Yeah. So the reason I want to talk about what happened with the RBA is that we haven't heard from them since December. And what they told us in December in their statement, and then they're very, very sanitized is the correct term, you know, minutes later. It's not, they're not minutes. It's just basically an extended version of the statement was that they know that inflation was moderating, that they know that the increases that they'd done to then, which was then eight interest rate rises in a row, that there was a lag. And they still talk mm-hmm. about that yesterday. But the thing to talk about very quickly is their fear around inflation. And- I keep racking my brain and I'm going to try to sort of try and say why inflation is such a headache in a way that doesn't sound like a boffin. Because I think that's the other problem is that they're unable to properly communicate why inflation is such a problem to the average person out there, you, me, everybody else listening. So inflation, the biggest impact it has is on your what's referred to as purchasing power, your ability to do what you want to do when you want to do it. To buy things. Correct. Being mindful of that. And that's where, you know, we come in and where we can now talk about that's a Debbie Downer, get that. Yeah. Um, 
there are ways to mitigate that. There are ways to deal with it. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to feel great. But that is the environment we're in. Let's work with it. Yeah. Mm. So we're expecting a few more interest rate increases this year? Definitely. So okay. it's not even it's not a, you know, a question of could it happen? It will happen. Okay. Uh, because they've told you. They've told you that over the next coming months, interest rates will rise again. So lock in next month probably lock in April mm-hmm. in terms of if you look at all the investment banks that last night got scribbling away in their models, they all upgraded to what they refer to as the terminal rate where the cash rate will peak from 3.6% to 3.85% is now the consensus. Okay. So knowing that things might be a little bit more, well, will be a bit more challenging this year mm-hmm. and thinking, well, how can we prepare our own personal finances to manage that better? And one way is that you can still negotiate and get a better rate on your home loan Mm -hmm. that I guess there's a perception that you can't do that while interest rates are increasing. It's like if things are getting more expensive, can you get a better deal? Don't don't ever underestimate. Banks are still in competition with each other, right? They still, Mm. I mean, and then they still in this scenario are a business. They need to continue to grow. So there is still that competitive edge that you're alluding to there, Kate, in that a bit of personal legwork, a bit of personal administration and you can find yourself a better rate. You really can. I mean, it's not going to sound awesome to what you've probably been ex- conditioned to over the last two or three years or even before that. I mean, don't forget the cash rate before the pandemic was about 0.75 of 1%, 1%, 1.25%. So your mortgages are about 25 to 3 So you're not going to get that. But you can get 4.5% as you're alluding to that, Kate. Because yeah. if you do some personal walking around, um, again, as Owen's already highlighted, it's not advice. Not only that, read the fine print, okay? Because those discounted rates sound great and are good, but they tend to have caveats, mm. fees and costs inside of them, or they are absolutely stripped back base product. It is literally, here is your home loan, full stop. Anything else you need, we can talk to you about it, but we're going to charge you for it. Yeah. So so one listener at the end of last year wrote in, uh, their name was Save Me $400 a month and said, you inspired me to ask my bank for a better deal on my home loan. I was so nervous. My rate had crept up to 5.99%, but I took your um, advice from the show and called them. I can't believe how easy it was. I simply asked for a better deal and they reduced it to 4.45%. And I've Seen other messages. Sorry, from- did you say from four point nine nine five point nine nine percent down to they four- got one point so five just off? One point five off. Like, think about that. That, that that's an huge. incredible thing. So that's four interest rate rises. Yeah, they've just taken off their home loan. Like, yeah. so December, so February, December, May. Uh, sorry, November and October interest rate gone. Yep, just by calling the just bank. by calling the bank. Yeah, that's an extreme example. It I will is. say that oftentimes you see like zero point two five or zero point five. This person obviously was on a very uh, expensive yeah. loan for the time. Yeah. So, but even if it's zero point two five percent, you get taken it's the off. Biggest it's expense still in everyone's life, right? So makes a big difference. Um, and we also had another suggestion from a listener called Greyhead Old Bloke, <laughs> saying that we talk about Barefoot Investor quite a bit, and we've mentioned it on our books episodes before, but. Have either of us read Noel Whitaker's book, Making Money Made Simple? Um, it's sold millions of copies internationally and is- There's, there's a great comment in yeah. the UK. It uh, says, 100% uh, recommended. Whitaker guides you to make zillions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. So uh, essentially, have we list- read it? Can we recommend it to listeners? 
I I thought I'd read it, but I read the f- first chapter the other day and it didn't ring a bell. So I think I'm going to have to read it again. It actually first came out in 1987 and has had, it looked like over 20 repeat, uh, reprints since mm-hmm. then. So it is certainly popular. If you have listened to it, let us know. We can get in cut contact. I can't even speak this morning, first Q&A. I can get in contact with uh, Noel and see if he wants to do a podcast. That'd be great. Have He's you read it? I have, yeah. yeah. So it was one of the first books I was told to, to look at. It's probably a little bit of, not a, by the way, it's not above, but it's a little bit more advanced, inverted commas, than, than Barefoot. But Barefoot's really, you know, for those of you out there wanting to get a really good, very brilliant base, that's what Barefoot's for. Yeah. Whittaker, his brilliance and his beauty is to go, I know you've got a little bit of understanding, so let me now take that understanding and make it really, really rock solid. That's the way to answer that question. It's very, very strong on how compound interest works, how to use it to your advantage. He's also very strong on like the concept of time. Um, and, and he's, you know, he's a big, big advocate of the using compound interest, using time, the you know, the Warren Buffett model to extent, but he does it in in a more a beautifully written way. I think it's the way to say it to you. I, I loved his book because it was one of the things that got me into to mm. finance. And he he what he does is really well is just time and time again proving examples of why what he's talking about isn't just his ideas. He's like, this is fact, right? Mm. It's, it's he's not trying to sit there and pump himself. He's like, this is why it will work for you. You've yeah. just got to. He doesn't use the word belief, but he's like, you need to just remember that mm. this will be something that is so advantageous to you over longer term. Um, Greyhead old bloke did say that um, there's probably a distinguishing thing between the two books, which is that Barefoot is like saying you can do it with 250K. And I think he's referring to like the super retirement strategy. Mm-hmm. I think he got it the Donald Bradman strategy from memory. And Knowles, which is, uh, Kate, you've got in the notes here, take responsibility for your own future. Yeah. Um, which is like you said, it's kind of that next step up, like in terms of, okay, you know you can do this and this is probably like the minimum way to get there. But if you really want a bigger and better future for yourself financially, take it in your stride and here's how you can do it. Yeah, and it's probably why I like him a little bit more because from from my perspective and what I like to do is that I always say there's no right one way, right? So everybody's different and I've talked about this with you guys before. Noel does that a little bit the same is that he's like, you need to understand that this is for you and only you can do what's best. Mm. So here are other ideas, here are ways, here are things, mold them together and 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 you will find the strategy that will work best for you. And that's the words he uses. He does talk about strategies, you know, core satellite talks about, you know, how to use long-term savings, how to use, you know, retirement movements, how to use the bucket strategy, whatever you want to do. He actually says you can use actually all of them together if you sort of, you know, piecemeal them up and stitch them up in some sort of big finance quilt um, and it will work mm. as long as it's for you. There's Motivated Money as well by Peter Thornhill, which is a really good one uh, if you're interested. Um, so a lot of us that listen to this podcast may be, say, under 35 uh, and you're probably your most, um, like the most trodden route to finance is through Barefoot. But you got to remember, like finance has been around for thousands of years. So um, there are many great books that were written um, pre that, and many things that were said and done. Like I still always refer to George Classen's book. I reckon everyone's just ripped off that book since the 1920s um, in terms of budgeting strategies. So there's there are so many different ways to do it, and reading widely gives you the most perspective, I guess. So yeah, great, um, Kate. Maybe once you've had a read, you can 
Give us the yeah. full review. Everyone oh. loves a book review. I've got the ebook now, so I'll, I'll have a read <laughs> and let everyone know. But the first chapter sounds like it's up my alley. Yeah, cool. The like next question is about ETFs. And the question started off saying that I share the same experience as Kate with the chicken, which I'm assuming refers to when I was talking about feeling nervous about poisoning myself with chicken and getting a meat thermometer and solving all my problems. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> meat thermometer has solved a lot of problems, Evan. Right. You weren't there for that, but no. highly recommend. So, a bit of, bit of salmonella scaring, is that, that you well, can I've say? I've never done it. I was just worried that I would do it. Right. But meat thermometer solved the problems. Yeah. So, there you go. problem solving can be applied to all aspects of life. But the question is, how many ETFs are too many? I feel like I've got a lot of overlapping ETFs. Uh, we can always, if we take the core and the satellite approach, my personal take on this is... Um, I think like five, any more than 10 in your core portfolio is probably not needed just because you'll start to get a lot of overlap. Then outside of that, if you have your satellite, you can have thematic ETFs, stocks, even if you were so inclined, I'm not, but crypto, gold, maybe gold could be either core or satellite depending on your view on that. But like you don't need many. Um, That's their advantage, right? So I agree. So I'd actually probably say it's five, max seven. Yeah. and the diversification part of it is there. Like if as listening to I won't refer to his name, but this person who shall not be named is the overlap is the concern, right? So you can buy too many ETFs. So if you buy a thematic ETF and a index ETF, it's probable that in there there'll be overlap, right? So the advantage of ETFs is that they give you that diversification immediately, right? Mm. It doesn't have you don't have to go out and do the old barbell. I mean, I know you and I all know about barbell. For those of you out there who mm-hmm. don't know what I'm talking about. The Australian thing was this barbell strategy that was invented as a buzz term in the 2000s, which is resources, one side of the barbell, banks, other side of the barbell, and the bar was everything in between, Woolies, Telstra, CSL, whatever else might have been there at that time in time. Looks like a barbell. You don't need to do that anymore because that's the beauty of ETFs is that they give you that barbell and better diversification. So the reason I say max seven, think about asset classes. So Owen just alluded to it with your cryptos or what have you. Don't ever write off fixed interest, right? Fixed oh, interest yeah, is bonds, still bonds still need to be in the core. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So bonds bonds can be that overlap. If you've got and you find yourself you're just loading up with equity ETFs, maybe think about winding that across to a diversification with fixed income. You know, you can also do it into property if you want to. Definitely look at your international. I mean the data still shows that Australian investors do not have enough exposure overseas, despite the volatility going on right now. International shares have outperformed the ASX for the last basically umpteenth period of time um, by about 1%. And you compound that 1% mm-hmm. over 10 years, that's going to make a huge difference. So they, that's how I'd answer that question. Because of their beauty of their diversification, you don't need many. Mm-hmm. Um, and so max, in my view, would be seven. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. seven different ones, not seven, seven different ones. Ones that are investing yeah. in the top two hundred Australian companies. Yeah. You had one member, um, which this is not. I think this is like a, a symptom that afflicts many people. But uh, we had one member write in who had, I think, thirty ETFs and fifty mm. stocks. That, like, yeah, just I've think seen that many times. Yeah, 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 just think it a headache. Um, there was a financial planning client that came through that uh, ninety six stocks, and the financial planning team was like, well. We got to, like, we have to do something. And it turns out the the woman ended up not going with the financial planning because she was so committed to a 96 or whatever she had 
So they're like, well, it's just so much cheaper and easier if you don't do mm -hmm. this. You also don't get the economies of scale, right? So yeah. if you believe in True. them, that's that, that, that's okay. But you've got to then, you know, add to each ninety-six stock to get them to a level that actually is going to give you a return. I mean, having yeah. one share in Apple is not going to do anything for you, yeah. despite it being Apple or Tesla or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. It's not going to do enough for you. That. That's where economies of scale. If you believe in it, by all means, keep adding to it and blah, blah, blah. But having 96 is going to be exactly right. Then you start thinking about, you know, you still got to buy and sell it. The right? brokerage costs to even yeah. rebalance the portfolio. Correct. And even with low costs, I mean, even, you know, you can now pay as low as, you know, 495 per transaction. If you've got one stock or, you know, a value that's 200 bucks in value, that's a huge percentage when you work out of it. That's, that's more than what most high interest invest, um, you know, advisors charge you. So that's where it comes into it. I'd also, the next thing that I always get with that though, is when you talk about you know, the attachment that the person had is that's the other part about your lessons with all this and the ETF lesson and blah, 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 is that that's your money, right? The ETF doesn't own you, you own it. And that money is your money, mm. um, and you deserve to have it back. If you're attached to it so much that it's basically like soaring off your left arm, you need to work out a way of dis mm -hmm. you know basically disassociating yourself from the ownership being this thing that is actually a almost a physical sort of emotional response to actually being a bit more clinical. Mm. Yeah, we had um, this is an extreme example. We had multiple memberships, which I know you know, Evan. Mm -hmm. um, multiple investing memberships that were like small caps, large caps. Uh, ETFs, all that sort of stuff. And for us, um, that's was over, I think it was over a million dollar a year business for us here at Rask. And made the decision to close that, um, which was bloody hard. But now we just have one membership and it focuses on ETFs for people's core. And the simple reason is that like, you people become wedded to things. Like I was super wedded to value investing as a profession. I think a lot of people do start out like that. And then over time they simplify. But I still love the value investing stuff thing. I just don't do that with the core of my money anymore. Yeah. Because I just don't need to. I can buy five to seven ETFs that you were referring to, basically get exposure to all of those asset classes and then do whatever I want to do around the outside. And I'm the same as you. So you and I come from a similar background yeah. in that, you know, I came from an analytical world and I would probably die on a hill about how important it was to be active and to have that value base, et cetera. And I've had to unpick myself to go, hang on, I need to evolve with the times. And that means that evolving with the times, I mean, passive investing has now not just overtaken, it's starting to actually monster yeah. everything else behind it. The money is telling you that. Mm. So you need to evolve. And that means that, you know, yeah, your emotional weddingness to your personal views of things do need to be challenged. And, and I'm the same. I went from being a portfolio that was barbelled and what have you to now, I ha and I'll put my hand up, I'll honestly tell you, I've got four ETFs in yeah. my portfolio cool. and I don't want to go five yet, but I do have a, what I call my play thing, which is my satellite. And that's where I get to still you know, yeah. do that sort of active scratch management thing and scratch yeah. the itch. But yeah. it's, the it's, in terms of the percentage <laughs> total of my portfolio, it is nothing. Like it's just, it's about 10%. So it doesn't matter. It's my fun thing. Yep. Yeah. That's great. We see All that right. happening everywhere. On the same topic of ETFs, but more about the inner workings of ETFs, a question from VC following on from our ETF mini series we did last year. So if you're interested in ETFs and want to understand the basics. We used favorites as an analogy to explain how ETFs work. There's about five episodes there. So I'll yeah, put a link series. 
in the show notes. But the question was, when I buy an ETF with, for example, the top 200 Australian companies, uh, how does it how does it work? So if I bought a unit of the ETF, do I get the shares underneath? So things like Telstra and BHP, or do I just get an sort of an allocation to it? How does it work? Because sometimes- I think the word he's looking for is vehicle. Vehicle, yeah. Yeah. Did you want to answer it or do you want me? Let's go. Uh, okay. So, yeah. So, when you own an ETF, basically what you have is a you have a beneficial interest. So, the legal owner, um, it technically would be you, but the legal owner, the, the, the company that holds it would be Vanguard or whoever else. BlackRock. BlackRock, et cetera. Peter shares. And you have the interest in it. So, it's your- you benefit from it, but they hold it for you. Um, so, they, that's the benefit of an ETF is it pulls everyone's money and then you can buy at scale. So, to Evan's question uh, point earlier on, instead of buying 96 shares yourself, which would be so expensive, they can do the same thing, but with- Scale. Yeah, with scale. And that's, what me- that's, that's how they have such low fees. Now, if the ETF provider was to crash, basically, there's a custodian in place, which is like a typically a third party and hopefully a third party, which most of it is. Um, and you would still have a direct line of sight. Here in Australia, we've got that through the chess system. Mm-hmm. So you can still own all the units inside the ETF. And there's heaps of like regulation around the outside. I, don't, I think people, maybe in this case VC, Evan, is maybe getting confused with fractional share ownership, which is something else. Yes, it is. Um, and yeah, the way I look at it is, as I said, the word is vehicle, right? So BlackRock, Vanguard, bundle up, Basically, what is probably a discretionary fund, right? In with very, very strong terms, which is their mandate is to have the ASX 200 at the weights that they are. And by weights, we mean obviously their market capitalization. So CBA is about 9.7 percent. BHP is you know flips between 10 and sort of 9 percent of the port of your vehicle has that exposure, right? So they will therefore the advantage, as Owen alluded to, if you look at Vanguard and look at their VAS. Um, holding it's about 4.7 billion dollars off the top of my head. The last I checked from the update from the ASX mm-hmm. of value is held in their ASX 200 portfolio. So their ability, therefore, as Owen said, to go out and get the very back end, the two, you know, the 200th company, which is 0.00 something of one percent to the ASX 200, is actually going to be you know a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Which you know you're just not going to do that personally. So that's the advantage is that it gives you all 200 scaled correctly. They are managing that without having to charge you. So if you know all of a sudden BHP was to come out and say they've got some incredible copper find in you know South America and it saw their share price jump up four and a half percent, and that scale of market cap went to 11 percent, they do that for you, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't cost you anything. So as Owen perfectly put out there, I won't go any further. Is that the technical side of it is that they are. Therefore, if they were to go under, you are protected. It's held by a custodian. Your vehicle would be held through that. Again, the custody model has pros and cons. Um, you wouldn't be able to ring up Citigroup or UBS or NAB Nowanese or whatever it is and go, I actually want all of my 200 chairs yeah. behind it. But you are safeguarded by those regulations, which is the beauty of them as well. Yeah. yeah. So bring it back to the favorites analogy. If people did listen to that series, instead of owning the individual chocolates in the box of favorites, you own a portion of the box. Yeah. Exactly. Melted all together into one big chocolate. Yeah. 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 So you get <laughs> yeah. a bit of all the favorites in Good there. One. Yeah. All right. Next question is mixing it up a little bit uh, from buy now, poor later. Good name. Great. Well <laughs> done. Name. It's very. And um, my teenage niece has just got their first job and their own bank account, and they've started talking about savings and splurging and spending. 
I'm hoping they're going to develop great financial habits. Can you guys recommend any resources that are teenager friendly? Uh, you're the only one with kids, Evan. They're not teenagers, but yeah, I, I know I've like got kids, but they're the four and six months old for kids. For kids. <laughs> Look, so value investors already. Yeah, exactly right. Well, I can tell you right now, the four-year-old, I am absolutely on that, like, no tomorrow. And she loves it. She's fantastic. So, um, you know, we went through the, here's $20, and she wanted to go and buy a new book that she loved, a Julia Donaldson book. Um, I'm glad you've got her onto books early. Oh, yeah. No, she, we up. are all over that. Um, so, she went and bought that 15 bucks, and she had the $5 left. I said, so, what do you want to do with that? She said, I think I want to keep it, Dad. And I went, wicked. And I said, okay, if you keep that for four weeks, I'll give you a dollar and showed it to her and I put it up on the and, and four weeks is the end of this week and she's going to kill it for sure. The dollar's going to be hers and she can go and do it's it. It's a pretty good return. Yeah. A dollar so, yeah, for yeah. one the bank month of holding $5. Yes, yeah, that's incredible. Banks. That's incredible. In yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> um, getting back to the question and getting back to buy now, poor later, the reaching of, of, of teenagers is always an interesting one. Um, mm. The way I've seen most of this be answered is apps, right? So there are some brilliant apps that are coming out there. They do cost, and that's okay. Um, the best ones I've seen is, and I've highlighted them here, Money Brilliant. That The advantage that gives your niece here is that she can see everything together. Because also now that you said she's got a job, she will also have a super balance, right? So under the, you know, the Australian law, she has to get super. So it puts her super, her bank account, her expenses all in one spot. So she can actually see her overall total wealth, hmm. which is great. It also shows her spending. It can link your car, like her whatever bank account card to it and blah, blah, blah. So it's a, it's a, it's a very good snap overview to start getting her to really understand that she's got this big wide world of finance that she's now touching in one simple thing on her phone. The other one to look at is Spriggy. And why I've highlighted Spriggy, that is a family app. Um, it might not be for this person because obviously it's their niece, but if the parents wanted to get involved with this, it sets savings goals. It actually, and, and shows you in a piggy bank how to do it. It has all of the expenses on there as well. And the parents can actually lock the card. So if they think that she's going a bit too hard on it, they can lock it down through the app, all those kinds of things. Um, it allows them also to set budgets and, and sort of warn you on an app pop-up going, by the way, you're now within 10 bucks of your spending limit and your spending limit's still got two weeks to go, for mm. example. Mm. What are you doing? Um, so they're, cool. they're sort of ideas. Um, again, they're not perfect. So, for instance, Spriggy, I'm pretty sure it costs about $9.95 a month. So, you know, take that as you will. But I also had a look just before I came online. It's got something like a 4.8 star rating from about 20,000 reviews. So, it must be doing it's something right um, in terms of that space. So, that's how I'd answer that question. Um, again, pros and cons are there. I think it's brilliant that you've obviously got a niece who is getting into yeah. the workforce at that age. It, the learning curve will be perfect. It's going to be better than the school education she's getting, in my view. <laughs> yeah, and even just letting them know that you're there to answer any questions, like if yep. they need help getting a tax file number or setting up their super or um, figuring out which bank account to open, like you're the person they can talk to about this stuff. And Because yep. a lot of us don't know anyone in our lives that is happy to talk about money or all that complex, well, seemingly complex stuff. So, going to jump in there on this, yeah. okay, because that question is brilliant, right? And the reason I ask that is particularly in this country, talking about money inside family is really, really, really low. So, putting you both on the spot, do you talk about money with your family? Some of them. 
Not really. Yes. Yeah, and now I do. But when I was growing up and when I was like in a teenager and my early 20s, talking about money was just taboo. It just didn't happen. And I think that's Kate's answer is also part of this discussion is try and I know it's very hard because it's all poppy syndrome and, you know, the emotion that comes with money and all that kind of stuff. Try and break down those barriers of, of just, you know, being completely neutral and open about discussing money and, and start small, right? Mm. Don't Don't go into the big, you know, dilemmas that some family households that we discussed at the start of this podcast are probably facing this year but start to to address money between each other you know why do you why do your parents spend the way they spend why do you spend the way you spend how do your parents save how do you save all those kinds of things even between your brothers and sisters or whatever it is it just starts to break the barriers down and it become a much better discussion mm. your comfort level will happen there and then you get my view which is the the cultural side of what i'm talking about here if you look at those cultures that have a collective view on money they are much better at it than those that have a very nuclear scenario which tends to be western cultures and i i, I my thing that I, one of my strengths like core points that i try to make is that collective societies do this so well f- copy them Right, there's a reason that they work so well together. Is the money is is a group. They think as a group. They understand the benefit, and then it gets you know the advantage of that is that it also means that you're all working together, mm. um, and, and you know you're all creating your wealth together. Mm. Yeah, I'd say that. Um, Off topic. Sorry. No, no, that's great. I, I agree with the collective um, comment. So I'd say that uh, the family environment puts a magnifying glass on financial happiness and. By that I mean it can be extremely good or extremely bad. Um, so we don't we didn't talk about money when I was growing up, but I was from a split family where I basically saw the bank accounts and managed the money. So um, it was a totally different environment for me. But that's a serious learning curve. Yeah, 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 not good one. So um, so that's where I got a lot of my insecurity around money. But um, this question, there was actually a bit of context around this. It's a niece, and they alluded to the parents living off credit cards, which is an interesting one. So this, I would say, is the, probably the single most important thing for this person, being the auntie or uncle, is to be there, as Kate said, to just talk to them, but also um, be forgiving. And by that, I mean, so when they come to you and they've made a mistake with their finances, or they've done something that isn't perfect. So let's say that they download Afterpay, which we all know is a bloody nightmare. So if they download that because their friends have got it, Instead of coming across as like this taskmaster that's like, do this, don't do that, just relate to them and understand their point of view because that will be more powerful and it'll keep your door open to them as they grow older. Um, Because we have, to your point, Evan, we have a lot of stigma around spending money, making mistakes, and we think that finances finances are created in a spreadsheet when they're not. Mm So And spending isn't bad. I agree with that. Yeah. Spending on the right things is important. Yeah. That's how we live. So I would just say that is probably the single biggest thing. Uh, the Barefoot Investor is like probably like it is the book, the quintessential book for this type of person. And it sounds like they're talking about splurging and spending. So it sounds like they have they know they've probably got the ING card or whatever. <laughs> um, so I'd say that this is brilliant. If they're on that track, just positive reinforcement, talk to them, maybe occasionally share a podcast or a course or something like that but i would also say that you don't have to make it finance related mm-hmm. but you could because the, the best way to convince someone is to make it think it's their idea so how do you convince them that it's their idea well you say well i'm you want to go to europe like all your friends 
we're probably going to plan to go on Kentucky. Put that seat in front of them, then work backwards from that. Well, you know, you want to go, you want to, you're probably going to need like seven grand for that, eight grand or something like this. And that budgeting mentality kicks in at their own free will. That is really important. So that's probably what I'd say. More of like a, not here's the resources I'd go to, but yeah, I mean, we've got courses on this, but we don't need to promote them too much. That's, yeah, so much goodness in that. Brilliant answer. So it's about being the financial support. Yeah. And that, yeah, yeah. being the financial support. And the net, it's like, so I love your Kentucky tour idea. It's more about money has value, right? So exactly. that is that value is an experience. That experience is value, and it's worth that experience. Well, I would argue it is. Some yeah. people might not, but I would say that's Kate, absolutely. Was it? Yes, exactly. <laughs> your experience you overseas, Kentucky, you, you, you did go to Europe. Was I it worth it? That, oh, I tuned out for a second. <laughs> <laughs> but was Europe worth spending on? Yes. Yes. Yeah. There we go. So that, that's that's the answer. It is the answer. That is, money is is just as my word is the potential to become something else. Right. It's just the value mm. that you attach to it. So, if they attach the value of that experience and the learning that will come with that experience, then it's that is good spending. It's when you do use a buy now pay later for something that feels right because you're chasing friendships or keeping up yeah. the Joneses experiences. That's the difference. And that's that's that financial counselling that you're alluding to there, Owen, is going. Okay, that value from the trip versus that value from the spend on something that you know might give you a short-term hit, but you won't have a memory of it. That's what you are leading to there, and that's mm. again m- is helping that education. It's developing that habit that you're talking about about going what is good and bad spending, why spending is still a very good thing to do, and it, because again, you know, making heaps of money and sitting on it is just as bad as spending an absolute fortune. So, mm. well, at least that's my view. Um, mm-hmm. Don't die. What's the saying? Don't die the most, uh, the richest person in the cemetery. Yes, that's what you said to me the other day. Yep. They don't bury your cash with you. Well, some people do, but um, <laughs> where are those? I, I have, my wife has Italian relatives, and they have done that. Um, well, okay, right. <laughs> All right. Where, is, where are they buried? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, so that, that's all part of the like, again. And as you can hear from our answers, they're all varied. And that's getting mm-hmm. better back to the question you had about Noel Whitaker about what he's trying to say is that no right answer. There are a plethora of answers. Mm. Find the right path. Find the path for yep. what you want to do. <laughs> okay. Like Speaking it. of paths, we've got a question from Charlie Munger's left foot on the path to off-market transfers. <laughs> uh, uh, nice. He was curious. He well, what about yeah, we'll go here because it's Charlie. Uh, Charlie was curious uh, at what the easiest way to complete an off-market transfer because he's never completed one before. And we've talked about off-market transfers a few times because we've mentioned that you could have multiple brokerage accounts uh. try things out. And sometimes you might have some investments on one broker and you want to transfer them to another broker. God, this gives me night sweats. Yeah, um, you can. So you can just you can speak, do all this, yes. speak to your broker. Yeah. And they'll, tra- they'll usually charge a fee. So like, it's like Comsec, Pell, uh, Self-Wealth, Superhero. They all have different processes and around this. And some aren't cha- charging fees anymore and some aren't even using You can also forms. go straight through the actual- Yeah, um, like I think Stake does it straight yeah, through the onboarding. They're yeah. super aggressive in, in that app. way. You yeah. can even go even better than that. You can actually go to the provider. So you can go to Computer Share. You can go to- Basically, link. to link and do it yourself. The reason it gives me nice words. It's just, uh, it's just personal admin, right? So, yeah. Yeah. I remember doing this when I was working in that space. It, it's just making sure that you dot your eyes and cross the t's. And what I mean by that, left foot, is 
if you don't get it exactly right, they will reject it. And that's what the frustrating part is. So if it is a trust account, you need to make sure that you have the parentheses put in the right place, that you have all of that in there. That's probably what gives me the answer to this question that gives yeah. me slight nightmares is it's very doable and there isn't any right way. Owen and Kate have just told you some you know really easy ways of doing it and they can do it for you. All of it, though, they will still ask the same thing, which is to collate all of your data together and make sure you have the exact information correct because as soon as it's not, it will get rejected for compliance reasons, which makes complete sense, uh, which you know could be even as much as having you know 78 shares rather than 79 shares in whatever X holding you have. Yeah. That's where the catch comes from. So it's just a little bit, unfortunately, of personal finance, a personal admin that is quite devils in the detail and very boring. <laughs> yes, you got to make sure the addresses, the names, even something like one broker you have your middle name mm. in your mm. your registration and one broker you don't. Or you have your initial, can, right? So yeah. that annoy like I know the difference between one of the big broking houses and the other one is that they do do your full name, your full name with your initial instead and then they don't marry up and that that mm. becomes a headache. So just just be aware that you certainly should do this because it's better to have it all collated in one position and it makes it easier that if you do need to move and sell on market, you can do it. But the personal admin behind it, unfortunately, isn't fantastic. And they haven't yet got to a point where I think they've done it efficiently. And that's why the ASX is obviously looking at the chess system and why they want to try and slightly revolutionize it. It obviously fell on its head, but it's mm. clearly coming because of exactly the discussion from left foot here. Yeah, and something that I've seen has caused other people pain in the past is not keeping really good records mm. for tax purposes because if me. you have yeah. been SRNs. buying the same ETF every quarter for years, you might have 20 different purchases of this one ETF. And so there's going to be lots of different dates you made these purchases on and you're going to have purchased it for different prices on different dates. So mm -hmm. you need to keep all of that information because it doesn't necessarily get transferred to your new broker. So make sure you have good records if you're going to do this. Yep. So yeah, just put in a spreadsheet or use a third-party app that can track across brokers. Or just have a hint, one hint, just do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep it simple. Yeah. Um, good question though, because a lot of people do do that. Definitely your broker, just talk to them. Um, they love it when you transfer to them. So if you're transferring to them, talk to them, get the help. Now, for the last question of today's Q&A, we're, we're talking about wow. compound interest. So this question from could be a dumb question. So that's the questioner. The questioner. The questioner is could be a dumb question. But I think it's a good question. So feel um, free to ask any question. Name? Even if you think it's a dumb question, probably 100 other people have asked the same in the last week alone. Yep. All right. Could you explain how shares compound in more detail? I get that dividends slash distribution paying shares compound uh, if you're reinvesting and things like that, but gross shares without dividends do not compound or am I missing something? Does the value of the share change up and down, but does that count as compound interest? It's a beautiful question. So it's not a dumb question at all. Could this be a dumb question? And the reason I say that is that you've got a fair point to raise there. The way that someone like Owen and I would probably argue it is that if you look at a share that is growth, what is their average yearly return? And then show that forward as compounding, right? So the example, the extreme examples are like Amazon or Apple or Tesla or players like that, right? So you look at the compound return of Apple from when it was first listed back in the 80s to now, 
you're talking about a compound rate that's probably averaging about 12% per annum. So that's the share price increasing over time. You would still count that as yes. compound growth. Yes. Yep. Um, you definitely would. But my term is that love the scary ugly. Shares don't do that, and particularly growth shares don't do that. Um, and you need to accept that the average compound return is not what's going to happen on the short term, year on year. And short term is year on year, not even day on day or month on month or week on week. That is a complete different kettle of fish. Again, it's mm. what you get yearly is too short for a growth company, right? So you, you, the compound interest, in my view, compound theory should start at five years minimum, probably more seven. Um, and what's the average seven-year return of BHP or CSL? They are growth companies that are now giving you dividends. I get that, but they probably shouldn't be. CSL has only just started doing it, and that's the beauty of it. I mean, this company, I remember when CSL first came to my attention was when I first started in this world, and it was $42, right? And what is it now? I think today being the 8th of February, 2023, it's 290-something. 305. Cool. So (laughs) that was probably- That's the most expensive one in the ASX. Right. In terms of price. price. So- Yeah. Right, so that, that that is if you look at the average return of CSL over the last ten years, right? That's compound interest. But if you look at its share price on a chart, it'll look scary ugly. It will be really, really jagged. I mean, there was a period there where CSL had this pattern of reporting something incredible because it had such a high, high premium multiple. It had fall by ten percent on the on the release of its data on its data. Which used to drive me up the wall because I'm like, hang on a minute, the company, mm. the, the growth profile was there. They were setting. We're getting into active management. I'm sorry, mate. But <laughs> that, that, that's how I would argue that that compound interest works in shares as well. Um, find the average yearly return, take it out to seven years, and that's how you should probably be thinking about it. Mm. We often talk about like the pizza analogy on the show, like where you get like a twenty dollar pizza, you cut it up ten ways, it's two dollars a slice. That's a share. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe where this question is coming from is this realization. It's quite just a simple one once you actually understand it. It's that um, the pizza gets bigger every year. So shares, unlike a lot of other things, increases in value. So you can take some of it away as a dividend, which might be like you take a tiny bit and you get that. You take a bite out of it, whatever. But the actual thing grows. And the reason it grows- Yeah, not all (laughs) shares, but- so I've always I, heard it as the apple tree. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because oh, the apple tree is growing and- The apple tree is always growing. apples fall and- And you take the apples on. away and, and you can eat the apple, but the apple tree is technically constantly growing. Mm. You know what? When you said apple, I, I thought of Summersby um, apple cider. <laughs> Summer, mate. Of course. <laughs> I'm thinking the apple tree works better as a metaphor than the pizza. Yeah, though. it does. Yeah, because it grows. It grows. Yeah, because so, if you eat the pizza, you've got to create a whole new pizza. Yeah, and yeah. that would be some freaky pizza that was obviously- Imagine if it grow. Yeah. The never yeah. If it was growing, it'd be probably like off. Fungus. Well, that's, yeah, exactly okay, right. So, so apple okay. tree, so okay. there so, might be some apples each year yeah, as well, dividends, or there might not correct. be any apples because it's a company it that doesn't growing. pay dividends, yeah, but the drought. apple tree- and it might have some bad years. So the apple tree might stop growing. A literal for a money few tree. Years. Yeah. So that's how I'd always heard some people sort of refer to it, is the yeah. apple tree idea is that the apples fall off, they're your dividends, or they're your, you know, slightly bad. But the apple tree is mm. slowly growing. And it is a slow growing. I can't believe we're going to fauna today. Um, that apples, you know, the, the tree is one of those trees that does grow quite exponentially over a long period of time. Yeah. So I crunched the numbers over 150 years in the US market. Company profits, this is for the entire stock market, 
right? Not just one individual one, increase about 6.5% per year on average over 150 years. Hmm. So the value of the stock market as a whole is increasing every year. Now, to Evan's point, the share price bubbles up and down like the waves in the ocean, but over time, it is increasing. Yep. Bottom left to the top right. Um, you'll have bad years like 2022. You'll have good years like the year before that. Um, that's just investing. And then you'll have events, global financial crisis, COVID-19, yep. going back at 150 years in the US, you've got Great Depression, Second World War, First World War, the 60s de- Depression, the 70s Depression, stagflation. You've got Asian the dot-com butters, the 87 flash Donald crash. Trump. Yep, but actually Donald Trump wasn't a problem. He actually <laughs> created value to the market, which is weird. Um you know, you and I could list off all those <laughs> yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, and again, I think you listed most of them. Yeah. But <laughs> if you look at that, it's not just the difference. I mean, nobody's going to invest for 150 years. I mean, the only person that can probably put like that is somebody like Warren Buffett who started investing at 14. The guy's 93 now. Um, and he is an institution. He's the only person I can put out there. There is a person that's actually also an institutional investor. But 150 years, it's thousands and thousands of percent growth, right? It, yeah. Once you add that 6.5% per annum. Like that's what happens. That's that's why again, a Noel Whittaker, a Barefoot, Owen, Kate, I sit here and talk about. Look, history shows us. Not obviously as the industry super fund warning is, you know, not necessarily a future idea, but history shows us that it just continues to grow. Mm-hmm. Because again, my argument always comes back to the point of view: when you're buying an ETF, a firm, whatever it happens to be, you're buying into groups of companies or a company that's. Their sole goal should be to obviously get their business better and to grow their business. That's what they want to do. They're entrepreneurs in their space and you're investing in that. If it's a company that's going backwards because they're not innovating, well, that is also an answer to this question as well. That that means, you know, because I feel that the other part that, you know, the question is asking is, you know, you look at, there are companies out there listed here in this country and all around the world that are flatlined, right? Mm. Um you know, there's some insurance companies in this country that have literally been stuck at a range for two decades. It's the same with some QB. I wasn't going to say that, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, or you look at, you know, an industrial, Coca-Cola, Amatol, right? They are the exceptions, right? And again, this is the difference between active and passive, and all that kind of revolution that's happened over the last twenty years is that. That issue of having an individual example of not compounding can be offset now by the market compounds in the States at 6.5% EPS growth or 12% per annum for the last 10 years. That's where it comes about. Yeah. yeah. So when we're talking about compound interest, we are talking about capital growth and we're talking about those dividends and distributions as well. Otherwise known as total return. Yep. Exactly. There we go. Good question. And what a finish. What a finish. Can we do something fun just at the end of the show? No. Can we <laughs> award the best questioner, so by name, a mind over money book? Is Ooh. that okay? We vote on who had the best name for their question. Is and that I'll right? I'll sign it for you too. Oh, there you go. So we've got Save Me $400, Grey Haired Old Bloke. And we don't have anyone's VC. contact details. We don't so. have any, so you have to let us know. Buy now, poor later. Charlie Munger's left foot, which I did, I'm impartial to. Um, Property spruiked could be a dumb question. I'm going to say that this because obviously it's my book that you're offering up. So I'll let you two make the decision. Okay, Kate, what do you reckon? I I mean, there are so many good ones. I tend to like buy now, poor later. I think that's a good play on words. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. Judge, is that all right? That is absolutely fine with me. Okay. Because that is the Mind teenager question. Money <laughs> is going to buy now, Paul Lady. If you did send this question in to us, please write into us whatever way you can and let us know and we'll send you Evan's book. And Ev- I will write a personal sign message to you and hope that your niece does incredibly well with money over their next life period. Which I think they will. So, you can find out more about us. Uh, head to any of the RAS websites. There's a There's a link in the show notes to ask a question um, when Evan's back on the show perhaps or whenever uh, you can also find Evan on Twitter mm-hmm. Evan. and Instagram and Instagram I'm embracing it yes <laughs> and even LinkedIn LinkedIn a- LinkedIn we'll Twitter put it all in the show Instagram's notes. there it's all basically Evan Lucas underscore and that will be enough to find me yeah we'll put the official links in the show notes because we do have some imitators around but um evan mate this is heaps of fun i know we're going to do more of it in 2023 so i'm so looking forward to to share your insights cheers and guys have a great week thank you so much for having me guys see you you. soon thanks evan and kate as always thanks for joining me thanks for listening everyone Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to RASC Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a RASC Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no-obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.